Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to episode 8 of Super Entertainment Presents, the Telgen Crossover Universe on the Grand Geek Null Network, coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. Uh, tonight we have James Boyacek, CEO of 18th Wall Productions with us, and I am Robert Ronsky Jr., author of the Horror Crossover Encyclopedia. We are the TVCU crew, minus one. Ivan, still a week later, is battling the cold miser, uh, so could not be with us. Uh, so what is the Television Crossover Universe? The Television Crossover Universe is a shared fiction of reality in which television series, films, comics, novels, video games, and more are demonstrated to go- coexist through crossover connections. More on the TVCU concept can be found at televisioncrossoveruniverse.com in our Television Crossover Universe Facebook forum in a series of Television Crossover Universe books and now in this podcast. This podcast goes beyond the TVCU by bringing on guests whose work relates to crossovers and expands shared realities. Welcome back, James, for another week. Huzzah. Huzzah. Uh, Hopefully this week I can talk a little bit better. Me English be good. (laughs) Okay, no. New rule. You start talking bizarro speak, you're stuck in it the rest of the episode. Oh, no. No, then I would just mess that up. I can't even. I can't even do proper Bizarro. <laughs> so shameless plugging time, James. What you got for us? Oh, nothing out new this week. But from the Dragon Lords Library is still available, and so is Heidi J. Hewitt's Sherlock Holmes novella, The Curious Case of the Clockwork Doll. Actually, I take that back. In just a few days after this episode, you will be able to buy the second in our monthly installment of the Sherlock Holmes novellas, The Door of Eternal Night by Josh Reynolds. Mm -hmm. This is one of his royal occultist stories Mm -hmm. and crosses over so many fantastic things. Sherlock Holmes, royal occultist, and, of course, two of the main characters in this adventure are Harry Houdini and Conan Doyle himself. Nice. So for my uh, shameless, shameless plugging, um, actually, I just want to shamelessly plug um, the crowd, crowdsourcing, crowdfunding for this uh, podcast. Um, we do seek donations. Um, you can donate via our website, televisioncrossoveruniverse.com. Um, when you donate just $25, you are literally paying for a whole episode to happen. Um, and unless you ask us to be uh, to keep you anonymous, we will mention you at the end of the episode as a sponsor of this show. Um, we really appreciate all the support we've had so far um, in, in getting support. Um, uh, when you donate, you really are a part of this, this, um, this podcast, um, and we really appreciate it. Um, so that's about all for shameless plugging and maybe a little shameful plugging. (laughs) So we'll be back, uh, in a few minutes 
with our guest tonight, um, Super Geek Girl, uh, Janet L. Hetherington. And we'll be right back. And we are back. Uh, tonight we have with us Janet L. Hetherington, author of Kolchak and Honey West, The Secret Loves of Geek Girls, Elvira Mistress of the Dark, and so many other great crossovery things. She's also a filmmaker and actress. Uh, she's, she's also uh, written Jesse James Lawman, The Last Outlaw, The House on Arch Lane. She's also a bit of a Superman fan, which really has me excited as uh, the proclaimed greatest Superman fan of all time. Um, so I'm really excited to have her on the show. Janet, welcome. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate being here. Yeah, so uh, getting right into it, um, when, when I first wanted you on the show, it, w- it was because of Kolchak and Honey West. And then I had to, had to look you up and I found out how awesome you are beyond that. <laughs> um, thank you. But uh, to get started... Um, I, I will ask first about the thing that uh, originally prompted me to f- uh, come across your work. Um, how did the idea of Kolchak and Honey West come about? Oh, that, that's a really good question. Um, actually, I can't take credit for that uh, because uh, at the time, uh, my boyfriend, Ron Sutton, who's a fantastic artist, I have to say, mm. uh, was working on the Honey West comic book, uh, which, of course, was published by Moonstone. And Moonstone had the license for Honey West, and which, of course, is based on the 60s um, um, series with, mm-hmm. um, yes, with Anne Francis. And they also had the license for Kolchak, the, Light, the Night Stalker, which I'm a huge, huge fan of, of Kolchak, a huge fan of the X-Files, of course, which was spawned from, from uh, Kolchak. Um, so Ron, you know, got the idea in his head, you know, well, maybe this would be a really good crossover and uh, so he pitched it to the editor. Um, fortunately, um, he also said, you know, my girlfriend Janet and I worked together a lot on the Elvira comic book, which we did. I wrote a lot of stories, which Ron drew. And um, so when, when he first approached me and said, would you be interested in doing this? It was so funny. Um, it, it came to me right away, you know, what, what we should be doing. And uh, one of the, the key things... Uh, was we had to resolve the time difference because Honey West was set in the 60s and Kolchak, of course, was in the 70s. Right. And so we decided, uh, with co- after a conversation with, with Moonstone, um, that we set it in the 70s so so Honey would be a little older. She'd still be, you know, dead sexy. Right. Uh, but Col- Kolchak would be the young cub reporter. So so it's it's a very young Carl Kolchak that, that we see in the comic story. And that was really fun for me to, to write because it's like you're delving into a new part of this character. Yeah, I love that it. it was a prequel for Kolchak. Um, exactly. Yeah, and I, and I love that it, that it took place in that time period. Um, instead of, uh, you know, um, it's very easy to just say, okay, modernize it, place them both in the present, a reboot type of thing, but... You know, you really kept the story um, true to the periods, um, and I, uh, as a fan of fan of both, I <laughs> I really appreciate what you guys did there. Well, I'll tell you, um, there was a lot of research that went into it. Um, and frankly, it's the kind of research I love because it meant watching stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> hours and hours of of stuff, and uh, you know, getting to well, rewatch stuff because, of course, we've seen it. Um, but Ron was always very meticulous, and he. 
whenever he's working on period pieces, and he loves working on period pieces, he tries to get as much authentic um, reference material around as possible. And in this case, he had been doing, as I said, he had been doing Honey West. He'd been drawing Honey West. So he had all these catalogs, Sears catalogs from the 60s. Mm. And, <laughs> and so he had this all, all this material. So when you're draw- when he was drawing the the hotel room and he's drawing the buildings and the cars and all that stuff, um, he 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 has reference material from that actual era to draw on. And uh, so that I think that sort of really gave it an authentic vibe, as you were saying. And and also, I had to work with three different editors on this crossover book. Um, oh, wow. We had the yeah. Well, it actually it was really good because when I first did my outline, uh, there was one scene in the story where where um, a car, a mysterious car, is trying to hit them when mm. they're inve- starting their investigation. And I, in the original first draft, I had Carl Kolchak pushing Honey West out of the way. And it was funny because it really wasn't working. And then it was um, the the editor who was working on the Honey West comic, you know, made the note saying, "Look." Who's the hero? Like, who's the more mature hero here? Right. You know, at this point, it's Honey West. She's already been solving crimes and whatnot. So it made more sense to have her push him out of the way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and then when you flow into the rest of the story, it it really made sense because she became she was his her, his mentor. Right. You know, at this in this story. So uh, any and also there were there's some traits of Carl Kolchak. He's a he he considers himself a ladies' man. Obviously, he's so young, but it's the same time he's sort of got this bravado, and um, uh, at the same and also, I mean, he's still finding his he's still finding his way. He's learning, and uh, <laughs> and he's doing some silly stuff. He and he's a bit of a coward, and this is this is something that we also played up a bit. You know, he you know he's not the typical. Um, hero, superhero type of character, which is also fun to write, because uh, superheroes are fun to write, but it's fun to write more ordinary people, right. solve mysteries, and all of that stuff. Nice. Um, so, uh, switching gears, I wanted to sure. talk about, um, I've heard a lot of buzz about The Secret Love of Geek Girls. Yes. Can, can you tell us a little bit about what that book is? Absolutely. Um, this is an anthology. It's um, it's It was brought out by a wonderful editor, uh, Hope Nicholson. She is a, she's a fellow Canadian. And um, she had this vision to sort of tell the stories of um, women in genre, women in, in the geek world. Mm-hmm. And we'd, she'd read a lot online about guys saying, oh, I can't get dates, girls don't <laughs> understand me. I mean, the Big Bang Theory, right? It's right, sort of right. like you've got all these geeks and, and you know, a penny story. across the street. <laughs> doesn't get it. Um, but <laughs> I know that I always would say, wait a minute, I like that stuff too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and Hope would say, I like that stuff too. So she sort of approached a whole bunch of different uh, female creators um, online and uh, and uh, was able to do a Kickstarter uh, to get this book going. And it, the, the response was incredible. Um, I don't remember exactly how much she was asked for. For I think it was like around thirty-two thousand dollars, and she 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 made over a hundred thousand dollars on Kickstarter for this wow. book. There was so much interest in it, and part of it too was that in the course of her soliciting contributors, Margaret Atwood, uh, who is one of our very um, honored authors here in Canada revealed that she actually has a huge love of comics mm. and loves to create comics herself. 
So she actually has a comic strip in the book. Nice. So this this was a, a wonderful coup for, for Hope. She was able to bring in a whole bunch of other contributors as well. Um, so it's a really, really good book. And what's interesting, we did we did a one. I was at the the launch in Toronto in December, and so it is it is out now. But um, Dark Horse has picked up the publishing rights, so it's actually going to be coming out in October um, 2016 um, with a new cover under the Dark Horse banner. So uh, it's going to get a wider reach. Uh, right now, I know all the, of course, all the Kickstarter supporters have their copies, and there there are some bookstores and whatnot that are carrying it. Um, but if, to go into it right now, I don't know if you can walk into a comic book store and find it. But right. as of our, in next October, you will be able to. So I think I'm really excited that it's going to have that reach as well. And, and it was fun for me because um, I was able to do uh, um, a prose piece, but then do, do some illustrations for it as well, uh, and, uh, which I hadn't, I hadn't been drawing a lot because uh, I'm focusing on a lot of these, the screenwriting. Right. And so the, to, to flex my, my creative muscles, both writing and doing some illustration, it was a lot of fun. And I was able to go back to my love of uh, romance comics and do a romance parody type of thing as well for that, uh, for that particular piece, which was called Both Sides of the Table and Between the Sheets. Uh, I had had one person say to me, uh, you know, because some of the stories are very personal, and mine was personal, but because my background is in journalism, I sort of took a, uh, I don't know, just a very factual view or storytelling. I tried to make it funny, too, but... um, Somebody described it as my origin story, which uh-huh. which I thought was pretty accurate because it talks about how I got in, how I brought my love of comics and in, into my writing and my art and and all of that stuff and and now doing the the films and stuff. So yeah, so uh, Secret Loves of Geek Girls. I've heard a lot of guys have really enjoyed it too because it sort of gives. I mean, if you're into fandom, you're going to like the book. Right, you know, because it, it it's it's the audience, whether it's from a female perspective or a male perspective, it's, you're gonna you're gonna understand where it's coming from. That's awesome. You know, I, I'm really really happy to hear about Dark Horse picking it up. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, even before before I realized that you were connected to it, I'd been hearing about it for a long time. Um, you know, through various places and and seeing links and the Kickstarter and everything. So. I, I gotta say, I and I and I don't I don't want to talk about your age by asking when, when you grew up, but uh, but I I know <laughs> okay. that when but when I grew up, it seemed as if geek girls did not exist. They did not exist in my world. Uh, my mother used to tell me that I'm never gonna meet a girl who likes comics. <laughs> and uh, do you think that um, do you think the geek girl is a new phenomenon, or have they just been always there and uh, just hiding in the closet? <laughs> Oh my gosh, uh, that's a really hard question for me to answer um, because I've always been a geek girl, and honestly, mm. I mean, uh, and and you know, I, I have no problems with my age. I mean, I remember Star Trek being on TV, the original <laughs> yeah. Star Trek, and I was a huge Trekkie from day one. Mm. Huge. I mean, to this day, speaking of the closet, I mean, I've got three Starfleet uniforms. Yeah, um, but, that's but awesome. I don't know. I <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I mean all. I, I, I gotta say, when I was in high school, I was sort of the outcast. I mean, I, I guess for guys, it's the same thing, right? I mean, if you're right. if you're a geek, whether you're a guy or a girl, um, I was on the school newspaper, and I wrote, I did the uh, cartoon strip for the school newspaper, and um, 
but I wasn't. I wasn't the popular girl. I wasn't the one that's being asked out on dates. Right. But, but I mean, I just, I just, uh, I loved genre so much. I loved reading science fiction. As I said, I was devoted to Star Trek. I loved Mr. Spock. I think everybody loves Mr. Spock. Um, and I did have a, 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 a girlfriend who was another a fellow comics fan. She, I was, I was a DC diehard, and she was a Marvel fanatic. Mm. And and we used to. I grew up in a small town called Wallaceburg, um, in, in Ontario, and um, we used to go to. She lived on a farm. Her name was Lee Brown. She, we we we'd go to her home, go upstairs, and I'd bring my pile of DC, and she'd bring her pile of Marvel, and we sit there. And I mean, it was it really was a house war, you know, <laughs> DC, DC versus Marvel. But I, I mean, the fact that we were able to swap comics and discuss the different characters and everything, and it was a girl, it was a girl, another girl. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, I guess I think to answer your question, I think we are, we were, we have been always here. Um, obviously, I mean, I know a lot of women who write horror, who right. write science fiction, who. You know, I don't know who loves Star Wars. You know, I mean, and going back to the original Star Wars. So I, you know, I don't think I don't I don't understand where this idea came from that women don't like these things. I, I, and when in the Secret Loves of Geek Girls, um, I did a cartoon which which my colorist thought was hilarious. Um, it's a a woman and she's standing there and she's in a cosplay outfit mm-hmm. and she's looking at her boyfriend who's in full football gear with the painted face and the big shoulders and the football and everything. And she's sitting there and she's saying, you're going to tell me about cosplay and being (laughs) obsessed? You know? I mean, I'm sorry, guys. I mean, when you get in your sports get-up and do your thing and and everything, I mean... (laughs) I think I think we all have our passions, and I think it's wonderful if we all can embrace them and that, and, and we can we can uh, recognize that passion and uh, and really appreciate you know like just give people the room to enjoy their their passions you know right absolutely and I I, th- I think um, it's just I think between the internet and all the conventions that are out there now. Yeah. Um, geekdom in general is just more widely accepted and you know when when I was a kid it was like two or three of us you know uh that that were into into you know sci-fi and and comics and stuff and it wasn't until the internet came out that I was like oh my god there are others like me <laughs> yeah well when when I was when I was growing up after I left uh, Wallaceburg um I went to Carleton University and um I actually helped put together a, a, a science fiction and conflict convention called MapleCon, which was one of, one of the first ones in Canada. And um, that was because it was directly stemming from the fact that I wanted to pursue those interests. And we needed a forum to do that because the Internet didn't exist at that time. And um, the, the friends that I've made over the years, at the, I love conventions. I just adore conventions. I was going to San Diego Comic-Con when it was small right <laughs> it wouldn't <laughs> it's, it's changed so much um but you know I, I love the fact that there are local conventions now that i have a lot of people i have a day job and i have a lot of people come up to me and they say you know like oh um 
you know, are you going to Comic-Con this year? And they're thinking of San Diego, and I'm saying, well, I, I'm hoping to, but I can tell you there's one, you know, that's happening locally in May that you can go to, so, you know, you don't have to pay or try to fight to get the hotel and the tickets to go to San Diego. You can go and experience it right here, find out if that's what you like, and then you can decide if you want to go to the bigger shows. Right. Um, and, and they're everywhere now. Yeah, my, um, my hometown, yeah, it's, it's my hometown, Smith College is in my hometown, Northampton, Mass., which oh, is yes. an all-women's college. And they have a Conbust um, sci-fi conven- fantasy convention uh, with a theme of, like, um, women in comics, women in sci-fi, and stuff like that. Um, and it, it's been gaining gaining popularity every year. Um, it's pretty awesome. And, you know, I've been attending it for a few years now some pretty good panels and it's just an example of like like anywhere you know you can find find it and it's cheaper <laughs> you don't have right. to fly to san diego <laughs> <laughs> exactly although i love san diego and i'm actually I, I'm, I'm hoping to get down there this year i i i got to put it in my calendar to see if i can do it but <sighs> we'll see <laughs> I, I haven't made it yet but it's on my it's on my list <laughs> Someday, someday making it's like the Mecca, you know. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, so our podcast is an extension of our website, which is the Television Crossover Universe. And um, we cover a lot of different, like, crossover series. And yes. uh, a few years back, I had covered Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Um, oh, cool. But I was completely unaware of your series at the time. Oh. Um, so I thought I was thorough and um <laughs> and I, I missed a lot. <laughs> um so first off I'd like to ask you, how fun was it to write Elvira? Oh my god, it was so much fun. Um again, I have to I have to say thank you, Ron Sutton, my boyfriend. Mm. Um, because he was drawing Elvira. Uh, this 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 is a, this is the way things happen. We we ended up uh, going to a, a convention, um in New Jersey, I think it was, um, and we ended up uh, meeting with um, Richard Howell, who was editing Elvira. This is for Claypool Comics, who mm. had the license at the time, and uh, we went for lunch. And Ron was delivering artwork, but um, I met Richard. We were chatting, and I said, "How would you feel about me pitching you some story ideas?" And he said, "Sure." So um, a lot of times, honestly, to meeting the person really helps, and also finding out the way they like to receive material get permission and prepare the stuff the way they want to see it. Um, so I did, and Ron and I were able to do a backup story, um, which was Web Mistress of the Dark. So mm. it was about Elvira going crazy doing online shopping. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. Um, and uh, then, But it was later that I got to do more interesting, you know, like expanded stories, doing lead stories. Right. Um, and it, what was interesting about this particular series is because DC and Marvel had done um, Elvira's before. The mm-hmm. Marvel had done the adaptation of the movie that had come out, Mistress of the Dark. And um, DC, did, their, her, their Elvira take was more or less a House of Mystery style where she was acting as right. a... Uh, a horror hostess, which he is, about introducing the stories, and so they were the traditional house of mystery type of stories. But what Claypool did was they actually made her the lead character. She was the protagonist. So there was another um, writer that they had, a regular writer named Frank Strom, and he wrote, they were very funny stories. They were very funny stories, but when I started writing it, I was writing it, I'd like to say, from a female perspective. Mm And um, I love writing for her because she's sassy. She's very, 
she's very much in control of her persona, and there were certain things that we could not do because um, uh, Cassandra Peterson is is very very smart businesswoman and really is in control of her character. Um, you know, we had to uh, make sure that um, um, she she's very uh, animal friendly. She she you know, wanted mm. herself portrayed in certain ways. There's certain things we couldn't do. There's certain things that we could do. We, we, were tro- we were told to have her in her costume as much as possible because, I mean, that's really part right. of her, her, her whole um, uh, trademark. Um, so there were some times that I wanted to have her, you know, like I, there was one where she was, it was a game show and she was in some sort of, at like a, a German beer hostess type of thing. Um, but, you know, but basically they, they preferred, they wanted her in her regular black outfit. Right. Um, but it, what was really fun was Ron was always saying to me, look, I want to do a story about dinosaurs. Can you write me a virus story that's got dinosaurs in it? So there was the challenge. How do I, how do, I do that and have a real story, you know, just, not just a, just a concept? So we, we did some really fun stuff together, and, and, and in a way they were crossovers, <laughs> even though the, the names were changed to protect the copyright. Of course. Um, and they were parodies. Um, but we did one, like, Ron really loves the old DC stuff, mm-hmm. um, so we did one that was sort of like the Challenges of the Unknown. We did one with the Thunder Agents, it was called the Windy Agents. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, oh, and uh, I, I did one that uh, I wrote that, that actually John Hebink drew, that was a, a takeoff on the, um, um, the TV show, the one, oh, um, the one about the island where all the people are on the island that oh, was lost? a reality show pardon me oh um uh, survivor survivor yeah. that's it we called it telecastaways <laughs> and it was it they ended it ended up going as a backup but like for several issues but i what we were just you know doing all, i i threw all kinds of stuff in there because i love all the ray harry and stuff yeah so on this island all these skeletons show <laughs> up and they're fighting elvira's in a pirate costume and, oh it's just Anyway, it was just, it was a blast because, you know, because she was, she's the mistress of the dark. Right. You could bring in all these macabre elements. It was funny. One of the things I was told was I had to have a joker panel. Um, Also, uh, Richard Howell's a very literary guy, so Mm. he really appreciated good writing, you know, Um, and uh, and, and he, he, he was really excellent at conveying notes like if he if something needed to be adjusted or whatever it was it was a wonderful working experience so i i really enjoyed my run on elvira which was considerable it was like six years i was working on that yeah on that comic book. on comic vine i looked it up and it, it was like a, a lot <laughs> yeah. yeah years <laughs> yeah and uh, you know it, it was it was a fun book um and, you know, it, it was a black and white, though, you know, so, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how, I know people do search it out now, like, when they when we're doing conventions, Ron and I, you know, come up and say, you yeah. know, copies and whatnot. Um, so, you know, if, if you do have a chance to read it, I, I really encourage you to, because it, it, it was a lot of fun. And I liked writing this really strong, sassy woman. It was just a right. blast. Yeah, Elva, I mean, I, I love Elvira just... And anytime she does a cameo on a show or a commercial or, or anything, uh, uh, you know the um, you know she's just a great character, and I love that mix of the horror and the the humor, and you know 
Um, and she's very confident about <laughs> who oh, she is. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just snaps. She's just there. It's, yeah. It's great. And speaking of crossovers, I don't know if you remember the show Medium. Do you remember that show? Yes, yes, yes. And every they had a wonderful opening. It would be, She'd be in bed, and then she'd wake up, and right. she'd have her, her story or, the you know, whatever case she had to solve. There was one time when it, it, it Zelvira pops up. Oh. In the, <laughs> on, the sh- on, on Medium? On Medium, yeah. Oh, I have to I'm find that. Positive. <laughs> I'm positive. I'm not recalling correctly, but mm. I'm positive. And, of course, they, in The Simpsons, they've got their own Elvira. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. She's a real popular. She's really very, um, very iconic. You know? Yes, yes, she is. Um, so I've discovered that um, uh, beyond writing, you've now gone Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it Hollywood. <laughs> So how, how has the transition to uh, film work been? Yeah, it's been great. Um, it's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And well, I mean, I started doing it in 2008, which just tells you how long it takes to right. get anywhere when you're when you're changing direction. Um, yeah, I um, it was so funny. In 2008, I had I had um, done something called the the comic book challenge, and um, and I had created this. Um, concept called monster love and I, I didn't it was a competition through platinum studios and i done okay with it but i was just i was starting to hit my head because i'm thinking why am i doing this uh frankly i mean I, yes i worked on elvira but i mean I, I you go to comic book conventions and they flock to the people who have worked for dc and marvel right and you know i mean i'm a very small fish in that pond um, which is fine. I mean, I always look back and say, I really enjoyed doing that. It was a, a wonderful opportunity, and I do it again in a heartbeat. Um, but I really wanted to work in movies and do movies, and I guess, you know, one of the things on my list was I always wanted to be in a movie. Um, and you've so been in a few. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I decided, um, well, what the heck, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Um, I auditioned for, I was in this one movie called M Theory, where I played um, Mrs. Dilworth, who was the dean's wife, Mm -hmm. a very small role, but it was fun. Um, And then I've done some background work, because I I live in Ottawa, Canada, Mm -hmm. and um, we've been having, our film and TV industry is doing very well. We're starting to really grow. I mean, we have Toronto, we have Montreal, we have uh, British Columbia, which is very thriving film and TV communities. Uh, but we're, do, we're starting to really do it here too. And um, uh, I've been there's a fellow uh, comic book horror science fiction fan, Brett Kelly, who I've known for a long, long time, and Brett's been doing movies for a long, long time. I mean, he's 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 really a good director. It's funny, he started out as an actor, but he, he, he drifted into directing because he wanted to produce some vehicles for himself. But, he, but his talent, he's, he's got a real talent for direction. So anyway, I, 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 I've i known him for a long time. Um, he had this little thing where he, want, he wanted to, he, he asked local writers to take, um, take this idea and do a treatment, so I did. And it was basically a sample. So um, he got a three-picture deal to do Westerns. Mm. Now, why they want to shoot Westerns in Ottawa, I do not know. <laughs> but they do. <laughs> so 
what the hey, in, these, in this modern day and age, you go out to the, the forest or whatever, you can make anything look like anything, you know? Right. <laughs> when I'm watching other films now, I, I really say, oh, I know how they did that. That's not necessarily where they say it is. And, mm. and also, intercutting, uh, you know, getting a star in there, that's, it's really interesting that the way you can do things now. But, um, so, The Last Outlaw... Um, was a production that Brett was working on, a Western. And um, the original um, screenwriter, David Lloyd, was um, he'd done the first draft. He was unavailable to work on it uh, for the second draft. So um, Brett asked me if I'd like to do it. So I did, and I, um, I immediately changed some things. I put a girl in it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I did smooth some stuff around. Part of it was that it really had to be tightened up because it wasn't uh, a huge budget production. And uh, so they needed to limit the number of players and the actors and the scenes and everything. Um, so I, I worked on that one, but I had I shared the writing credit. And then the second one uh, that came out, Jesse James Lawman, um, it was even that one. I wrote the entire thing, although I was given the treatment or the the scenario from the beginning. So I didn't come up with the story. That was all pre-sold. Right. But these, this is a great exercise, even though these aren't big-budget films. Um, it's, it's, they're real movies, and you're learning how to operate in a real environment so that if I do get another chance, a chance to do a bigger production or whatever, I've got that basic skill set uh, to bring to the table. And um, I, I was really happy with Jesse James Lawman um, because... I I did not know I I when I I was asked to do a couple of rewrites. You always end up doing some rewrites, right? right? And um, I was asked to change the scenes with the mayor because um, they were going to get a star or some uh, Narke name to go in there. I didn't know who this was going to be, um, but this is pretty standard if you have a lower budget film. Like you get you, you use local actors, and these I'll tell you the actors they have here in Ottawa they're fantastic. I mean I've been I've seen them at work and they're fantastic. But they got for this uh, Jesse James Lawman they um, they got Peter Fonda to play mm. the mayor. So like I'm I'm like I'm I couldn't believe it when I heard oh it's Peter Fonda he's saying my words it's like <laughs> I couldn't believe it and then I found out that Kevin Sorbo was going to be in it well right. it was it was really interesting because I mean again that was Brett that that handled all of that and it's like oh my gosh it's like I you know whatever happens tomorrow I've got a movie with Kevin Sorbo and Peter Fonda in it and I wrote it so it's like I'm over the moon. <laughs> but again, it was like I love doing the research. You have to watch a lot of westerns. You have to get. A, it was so funny when I was talking to Brett. I was like, "What kind of western are you are you aiming for here? Do you want like a spaghetti type western? Do you want like the 1950s sort of personality drama western? Are we going for the really old school stagecoach type western? Right. Well, we got to look at okay, how many horses can we get? How many you know scenes? Whatever you know, where where are we gonna where they have to do all the location stuff for the saloon and all that stuff. And it was it was great because it, like this case, they just want a straight. Ahead, they really wanted a straight ahead actioner, you know, really right. lots of punching. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to I got to write lots of punching. <laughs> it was it was fun. I, I, you know, it's a blast. Was um, the western genre something you were already interested in, or was it something like, well, 
I'll write it. No, no. Actually, I really like Westerns. Mm. I mean, oh, I love Quentin Tarantino. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I die for Quentin Tarantino. Um, but, I mean, think about Star Trek, the yeah. way it was pitched, right? right? Wagon train to the stars. Yes. Come on. It, that's, I mean, I, when I, I love watching all genres. Westerns are if anything that's done good. You know, I mean, it's it's great, and I mean, even though the Western story is more of a American story, um, it does appeal to Canadians too because we have that pioneer heritage too. We don't have the wild, wild west. I don't think it's a little different, right? But yeah, the I know the the Western genre. The I, you know, I I've watched a lot of those movies, and I really enjoy them. And I I know two of your films featured um, like real life. You know, uh, Western folk legends, Jesse yeah. James and Bat Masterson. Um, yes. Do you, do you have an interest in the historical Old West? or? Well, that was interesting. That was part of uh, what was required for the, for the contract to do the movie. Mm. They, they had to have some sort of real-life character, even though it was fictionalized. Right. And uh, with Jesse James, it was interesting because it's called Jesse James Lawman. Well, of course, Jesse James wasn't a lawman. <laughs> right. So... <laughs> So part of the trick was to find a way to to have him sort of keep that outlaw spirit, but be portrayed as a good guy, but still be an outlaw. Right. <laughs> at the end, he goes back to being the you know regular Jesse James. Right. right. So, but so so it's always a challenge, no matter you know what story you might be given to write. In this case, it's not a story that I originated. I was given the uh, the scenario, and then. Uh, then I worked from there. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, but I did. I tried to oh, the, the the one for the last outlaw. Now that was that was fun because uh, I did a lot of research for it, and then they yeah, there were some changes along the line. But <laughs> and Jesse James, yeah, I did my research. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, it, this is not this is not for the History Channel. <laughs> right, right. This is, this is a work of fiction. Right. So, uh, so it's 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 sort of like, let's think of it as an alternative. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of that of that world. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Elseworld version. Yeah, yeah. The the fictional universe, which we call yeah. the television crossover universe, has <laughs> has many other adventures of real life people. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that never happened. And that it, never happened. And yeah. it, it, or did it? <laughs> and, and putting outlaws as the hero is a is a pretty common trope for, yeah. you know, Billy the Kid and Jesse James and yeah. stuff as as hero. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we we even got some of those uh, comics uh, that came out, you know, with Billy the Kid and right. You know, and I mean, he was he was portrayed as as like you know a hero. Right. Right. <laughs> You know, they use the name and it sells, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so finally, I want to talk about Superman. Oh, okay. And, and, and I'm wearing my Superman hoodie right now. Um, I'm a huge fan I'm of I'm wearing my Superman shirt, too. This oh, is so that is strange. so awesome. That is so awesome. <laughs> I'm a I am, honestly. I am a huge fan of the character and the mythos in all of its forms. Yeah. Um, and clearly you are, too. Um, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, um, how did you become involved in putting together the 60 Years of Superman exhibit? Oh, my God. This, that is... One day I looked around my house and I said, I've got enough stuff here to put into a museum. <laughs> <laughs> Which I still do. I, I, I keep collecting more. Um, so 
the 60, 60 years was coming up, and um, there is this small museum, local museum, called the Nepean Museum. Mm-hmm. Nepean is sort of like a bedroom community of Ottawa. And I approached the um, the curator there, well, the, the, the person that runs the museum, and suggested that they were looking, they had done, we we'd made the connection because they had done something about Canadian science fiction. And I know Ron and I had been involved with that. And um, so when this, this sort of idea evolved, like 60 years of Superman, Superman has Canadian roots and this creation. Right, right. Um, this is, and we could talk about other Canadian superheroes. So, and then, uh, you know, and, and as I said, I had enough stuff in my house to fill a museum. Um, so we approached, and yeah, we set it up. And it was, it was so much work, but so <laughs> much fun. Um, yeah, I, I mean, honestly... I, I one of the things like uh, I mentioned earlier, I have Starfleet costumes. I have a Supergirl costume mm-hmm. um, that I've had for years that I wore at San Diego one year. I actually won DC Prize one year with Brainiac Five. Oh my God, that was <laughs> such a hoot! Um, so we, we the costume we we put it on a mannequin. We had that as part. I mean, we it was just tons of stuff. Superman. Superman um, cake pans, the the little rocket. Um, I've got uh, I've got <laughs> up on my shelf my my small area now with my Superman stuff. Um, uh, there's a, a framed picture with Kurt Schaffenberger, Superman, looking down, and inside I've got a um, a picture of me in my Supergirl costume. So I mean, there is mm. all this stuff. I mean, of course, the comics. Uh, bubblegum cards, uh, you name it. And then there was this, it turned out that there was another collector in Ottawa who also had stuff. So he had statues, mm-hmm. he had, oh my God. It was just, and, and um, we contacted Leonard Kirk, who was drawing Supergirl at the time. Leonard, we've known for a long time. And he provided original artwork that we put into display. Nice. Trying to remember, there were other people too that had original super. Like I mean, it was. I had we had posters framed. We had all kinds of stuff. It was great. Um, I've got pictures somewhere of it. Um, it was. It was just fantastic. And I mean, um, I I really love Superman. I, I love. <laughs> I mean, I, I love what Frank Miller did in the eighties and re- mm-hmm. uh, vitalizing um, sort of the hero uh, with Batman and the Dark Knight. Right. But then it just seemed to be that everybody was getting so grim and gritty. I'm sorry. Um, yes, I agree. Superman, to me, he, even though he's an alien, um, somehow he's always doing good. Right. And maybe it's a, a positive thing. Uh, positive. I know that there's been some some studies of of him in his Clark Kent identity, and maybe because he Canadian roots, that's why he's such a mild mannered reporter. Um, and then he turns into this wonderful symbol of humanity, right? Even though he's an alien. I don't know. I, I just I just love love the whole concept. And I, I love Supergirl too, and uh, have my little Wonder Woman area as mm. well. Yeah. <laughs> a huge DC fanatic, obviously. I am too. I love DC better than Marvel, yeah. except for the so, current current films. Um, yeah, I, I. It's interesting because I, I saw the the latest Superman 
film. Man of I Steel, love yeah. the Chris Reeves films. I'm, mm-hmm. I know they're they're the the special effects are a little not aging that well, but I don't know. I mean, I'll be interested to see this this is it Superman versus Batman or Batman versus Superman? Yeah, that's coming up. Yeah, because Bat- uh, Batman v Superman. Okay, I hope they're don't, not going to go too dark with it because to me, Superman's. He's a good guy. <laughs> and and actually, that's why I really like the Flash TV show. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because it's got this spirit of upbeat, you know, even though he's got all these challenges, you know, it's just like he wants to do good. And um, and I've been watching the Supergirl, too. How do, Have you been watching the uh, Supergirl show? Yeah, I love Supergirl. I, I, yeah. I think it's the best Superman show out there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's interesting that there have been so many successful Superman TV series. Right. Honestly, I mean, and going back to the serial days, and then they had the the 50s show, and then, uh, I mean, there was Smallville, but there was Lois and Super Clark, Boy. Yeah, yeah Super, Super Boy was pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's just been tons of them. I mean, it, just, it they always seem to find a new Superman uh, incarnation for a new generation, and I know that's really what they're tailoring the movies. They want it to be a little more contemporary, right? Um, but they they make them too dark, though. Then, then yeah, then then you know they need to watch Captain America and say, oh yeah, we can still make a modern hero. Yes, yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I concur. And, and that's what I love about the Supergirl show is she yeah. is like so upbeat and positive. Yeah. And yeah. that, and and the same with the Flash show. You know, it's very, um, yeah. it, it's very Silver Age-ish, yet still yes. modern. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many good stories to pluck from those uh, right. comics, and, and I guess a lot of this generation hasn't have have not read them. So there's going to be new. There's going to be a freshness to it. And I don't yeah. mind them giving them a bit of a twist, a contemporary twist. Right. But if you keep the spirit of it. It, it. I don't know. I mean, there was that one with the Flash of Two Worlds, and they're both right. <laughs> running to the guy is like, you know, save me, Flash. Yeah, they copied the cover. <laughs> they yeah. copied it, yeah. Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> like this show was written by a fan. <laughs> you could tell, you know, and, and the movies are not are written by people. It's like, I've never read a comic book in my life. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to adapt, though. It, frankly, it is very, very hard to adapt. Um, uh, I, I do like... It's funny, too, because sometimes the environment is not right for certain kinds of, of films or, or television or whatever. Um, I think that it's great that we do have this stuff on TV right now. But, I mean, I, I, I wrote this, um, it, I wrote this uh, script called The Infectious, or the Squid Tongue Sleepwalking Monster Apocalypse, uh-huh. and it's a horror comedy. And uh, I've been I've been trying to pitch it around. And um, I mean, they really want the insidious and the the really straight horror stuff. Mm. And this is not. This is this is more of the 1980s style, um, you know, horror comedy that's very silly. Yeah. I like to write silly stuff, um, and. But I, I have I have absolute confidence that the timing has to be right. As as sometimes um, somebody takes a chance on something and it does well, and the next thing you know, everybody wants it, right? Right. Right. So yeah, I mean, to me, um, 
I mean, what we're seeing with Star Wars, I mean, that's a wonderful story. Yeah. And um, I, I just saw Mad Max Fury Road, which I thought was was really good. It's funny because I'd seen The Road Warrior just recently, and I'm thinking, my God, that there's even though there's a lot of years between them, there's not a lot of, you know, the, the, the same sensibility is there. So maybe some old school storytelling is going to come back into vogue. I'm hoping anyway. I, I hope so too. <laughs> it, all it takes is like one, yeah, one thing to make it out there and make some yeah. money. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, and I understand it's a business, right? Exactly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's that's why they they want to to craft things um, that will succeed, and, and, you yeah. know. And they're they're using their best knowledge, their 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 best information to do that. It's so, hard. I to mean, take I have risks. a lot of respect for the yeah. for the industry. It's hard to take risks, but you know, yeah. things build off of each other. And you know, the reason we yeah. have Batman versus Superman is because of the Avengers. The reason we have the Avengers is because of Spider-Man and X-Men. You know, you yeah. know, and those exist because of the uh, Michael Keaton Batman movies. You know, you know, yeah, you know. So they 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 build off of each other. Right. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I I, I was funny because I um. The X Men. I've I've been finding them really interesting with the, the sort of this casting of this younger younger mm-hmm. cast that they're using. It's very very interesting. Uh, sort of does remind me more of, of the comics that I remember reading. So I I think they're they're doing a good job. Yeah, I think with this upcoming one, the, from what I've seen of the trailers and the pictures and stuff, it looks like they're very much modeling after the the early '90s X Men. Um, um, period, which was their most popular, right? Um, one of their most popular time periods. Um, so I wish I could keep talking to you about comics, <laughs> but unfortunately, we are running out of time. Okay. And uh, I still had so many more questions, but uh, but we do need to unfortunately wrap up. Um, so you know, hopefully, we can get you back on the show to um, plug away more stuff and talk more comics. Because uh, oh, my pleasure! It, it was such a pleasure. Um, so uh, we're going to let you go. But before I let you go, I want to ask if you have any new projects that you would like to plug. <laughs> you know, I'd love to say yes, but uh, um, I actually—I um, mean, the, the big thing, as I mentioned earlier, was the Secret Loves of Geek Girls right. came out in December and is coming out again through Dark Horse with a new cover. Um, but um, right now, I've got a bunch of things I'm sort of trying to put forward, so I have nothing, no news at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely, I'm I'm writing and I and I'm trying. I, I want to get back and do some more artwork as well because I really enjoyed doing the artwork for the Secret Loves of Geek Girls in addition to writing the story that went with it. Um, yeah, I I sort of you know though you have to flex those muscles every once in a while. Um, but I, I, I also have to go back. I'm, um, there's a, a comedy uh, that I wrote that I've been getting some feedback on that I have to rewrite. I want to, you know, get that, get that in the works. And, and all of this takes time, obviously, and you have to right. think about it. And, and sometimes trying to figure out what the heck is wrong with it. Like, it's like, I love it as it is. Why do you want me to change it? Right. Um, <laughs> but I, it was funny. The last set of notes I got, I, I read it, and I thought, yeah, now I understand what they're saying. Yeah, because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you don't exact, exactly understand why they're not getting it. So, um, yeah, but I, there's, I have so many ideas, and, and, and you know, I, uh, 
so many projects I'd love to work on someday. So we'll hopefully okay, and they um, will happen, and we'll be able to talk about it. Hope I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. And uh, where can people follow you on social media? Oh, on social media. Oh, like the young kids? Yeah, um, like the kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, on Twitter, I'm at Best Destiny mm-hmm. and um, B-E-S-T-D-E-S-T-I-N-Y. Um, and then um, I'm on, we have, I have, I have a Facebook page, but I also have, we have a Hetherington Sutton Studio Facebook page. And um, what else? Oh, yeah, there is a Pinterest thing. <laughs> um, I don't even know how to use that really well. I'm really dating myself here. But my my son just made me sign up for it, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I, one thing about the Pinterest that's been really fun is I, I started a board that's all about, it's called The Writer is the Hero. Mm-hmm. So anything that's a movie that has a writer in it, I put it in there. Like I do the story, like uh-huh. I, you know, because it's like, oh yeah, okay, I love that story. I love that story because it's got... Um, it talks about, because sometimes these stories like Barton Fink, they explore the creative process right. in a very bizarre way. So, yeah, so that's fun. I always love reading stories about other writers. Awesome. Well, thank you, Janet, for, for joining us. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't have enough okay. time to ramble on forever because I could have just rambled on with you. <laughs> Sorry uh, about that. No, 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 no. I, I just... I just was just enjoying talking to you so much and I had so much more to talk to you about um, um, because it was just such pleasure. Um, so thank you for coming on and we really need to have you back on again um, so we can. And I, I would strongly suggest that you, we have Ron come on too because like he's got stories you will not believe. That, that would be awesome. That so would, much fun. That would be awesome. Um, okay. All right, so uh, we're going to go to commercial, and we will let you go, and uh, we'll be back in a moment. Thank you. All right, well, that's about all the time we've got. James, I didn't let you speak at all during that interview. (laughs) And despite that, it's one of our best episodes. (laughs) Or because of. Sorry, Superman is my thing. (laughs) No, you are fine. I did not want to interrupt that role. So, uh... I'd like everybody um, to please join us next week when we'll be talking with author Kevin T. Heim. And hopefully Ivan will be here for that one because the two of them have a, uh, a little bit of a personal relationship. Uh, wink, wink. Uh, before we end, I want to thank our GoFundMe sponsors uh, from this week. Dorinda Mulka, our own Ivan Zabowski, and an anonymous third donor. And to the Montecito Hotel and Casino. When in Vegas, everyone stops at the Montecito. And a special thanks to Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme music. Thanks to all who listened. Remember to subscribe to and rate our shows on iTunes. And always, everything happens somewhere. Good night. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.